The Lord be with you. And also with you. Alleluia, Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Alleluia. Come, ye faithful, raise the strain of triumphant gladness. God has brought his Israel into joy from sadness. The liturgy, music, and homily of this Easter morning are offered for our gathered congregation here in Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written, emailed responses, your decisions about ministry in our midst in the year to come, and as the Spirit moves, your presence with us on Sunday. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
May we pray. Almighty God, who through your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, overcame death and opened to us the gate of everlasting life, grant that we who celebrate with joy the day of the Lord's resurrection may be raised from the death of sin by your life-giving spirit through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. A lesson from Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaimed to you, which you in turn received, in which also you stand, through which also you are being saved, if you hold firmly to the message that I proclaimed to you, unless you have come to believe in vain. For I handed on to you as a first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to someone untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have come to believe. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Please join me in reading verses from Psalm 118 with the Antiphon. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, His steadfast love endures forever. The Lord is my strength and my power. The Lord has become my salvation. There are joyous songs of victory in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me sorely, but has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of our gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Glory to you, O Lord. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so they might go and anoint him. 
And very early on, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went out to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. <clears throat> the Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. How shall we respond to these mysterious glad tidings? Scientists, do they bring you a sense of enchantment? Historians, do they convey for you a promise of escape? Philosophers, do they require of you a regard for eternity, first enchantment. Thirty years ago, on Easter Sunday of 1982, our modest parsonage telephone rang at 6 a.m. I was already partly awake because the evening before, the sermon had not been completed and lay in scraps and tatters on the dining room table. I had planned to finish it that morning, but the morning had thoughts of its own. This is why we teach our students not to leave things to Saturday night. <laughs> on the other end of the line, there was a soft sobbing and a short greeting. In that part of our past and the world, it, has, it was the custom and remains that one does not greet one another with the name on the phone, hello, this is Robert Allen Hill, but simply a short half-syllable hi. And you are expected to know whose voice it is, to be able to recognize the voice and so the personhood of your neighbor. Otherwise, you are considered as from away and are not quite part of the community yet. Marion was calling that early morning out of a break, a distress that had happened in their home. I didn't pick up from the short greeting her name or her voice, and so in the first of many mistakes that Easter morning, I had to ask. She told me of some difficulty in their relationship, she and her husband, on a farm not far away a home that had become like our second, a place where we enjoyed the finest 
of meals, a place where our children stayed when we were away, a place later where our sons went to learn for a few weeks how to bring hay in in the dead of summer. So when the call came, surely I went. You know, the distance between a farm kitchen and a milking parlor is only about 30 feet. But when there is acrimony in the heart of a very busy working farm, that distance can become like the circumference of the earth, which, if I remember, is about 30,000 miles. When the minister appears in the barn at 6 a.m. on Easter, it is a portent that something's not quite right. John and I talked. He moved from stall to stall. And we, as friends, considered some of the natural, inevitable challenges that come with friendship or partnership or marriage. And as the sun was rising, after a good conversation, at least I felt we had come to terms. I left with a wave to the kitchen window going again up to the parsonage to dress and gather the tattered sermon and with Jan and our children to drive to our other appointment. We had two churches, the main one with the parsonage and another known as the out appointment. Now you know where you stand in things when your church is named the out appointment. Down we went, went. so many blessings have come my way through life and particularly marriage. One, just one of which is that My wife is an accomplished organist and choir director and was able in smaller settings when needed to step in and play the organ and guide the choir. That was the good news. The other news was that she knew, not only knew from music, she also knew from preaching. Her dad had been an accomplished and imaginative preacher and had written a PhD on Paul Tillich, so she knew about sermons as well. And after the first service, as we got in the car, as we were driving away, I remember distinctly a very loving and gentle question that went as follows. Bob, was that an Easter sermon? (laughs) The rest of the ride was distinctly quiet. (laughs) We arrived at the main appointment. I was looking, hoping to see our friends, farmer and wife, but In another of the failures of that morning, they weren't to be found, and the service progressed with a hymn and an anthem and the offertory, a verse of In the Garden, and then the beginning of that non-Easter Easter sermon when, by grace, the back door opened, and in they came, and where did they sit? Where do you sit on Easter Sunday coming so? Right down in the front row. I noticed as the sermon progressed a moment when his right hand moved so slightly, ever so slightly, and covered and held her left. And all the hymns of Easter, and all the lilies of resurrection, and all the bonnets and parades and gatherings of 30 Easter's since have not even partly eclipsed that sense, that moment of enchantment. When I had left the barn that morning, I remember on the barn radio hearing the voice of Louis Armstrong. This is part of the reason the memory is so sharp. That unique raspy voice. I think to myself, what a wonderful, wonderful world. 
And at Easter dinner, Jan did say, it went better the second time, I'm not sure why. <laughs> First, enchantment. Second, escape. We are, some of us are more first-person creation science, scientist-type people. Some of us are more second-person of the Trinity, redemption, historian-type people. Some of us are more third-person philosopher, presence, mystery people. The Trinity would have not have such a hold on us over 2,000 years if it didn't connect with something deeply and relationally true. Some of you are more native historians than scientists. You may remember Karl Marx saying, history moves with iron necessity toward inevitable results, his take on Hegel. Well, I don't believe that, nor do you. There's a lot more freedom in life than that, isn't there? There's a freeing, and actually over 2,000 years, the primary consequence of Easter and the resurrection of the dead has been the promise of escape. The capacity to find an escape hatch, a, a map toward the trail of freedom, a key to unlock the cell, that's the basic meaning of resurrection. So come Easter, here is a woman coming to church whose husband has been both drinking and working for many years, but now he's doing more drinking than working. And so therein, in that season, she finds somehow the courage to speak to him. And he goes to a self-help group. There are such very near to where you are sitting day by day. And he escapes. No, they escape entrapment. Here is a man who hunted for a decade for a job he thought he most needed, he longed for, he yearned for, but it did not come. And so one day he opened the paper and saw something that was available, called up, went toward it. They hired him and in an unexpected way the key fit the latch. And a meadow freeing of his will opened. Here is a woman who came to church on Easter. I'm not saying she should have done or there was any reason for her to do so, but she did. That's the way the felt mind works. She felt ashamed or she felt guilty or she felt wrong about something. And the lilies in the window and the beauty of the choir and the murmuring of the sermon touched her and she left that morning walking a little taller and cutting herself a little slack. And here is a young man in a college setting, Cornell or Colgate or Syracuse or the University of Rochester or Ohio Wesleyan or Columbia or McGill or maybe this morning right here, Boston University, who realizes as his course of studies are completed that he's been a, something of a disappointment to his parents. They wanted path A and he took path B. And on Easter, he heard a word about promise and escape. And he thought, he didn't say it, he thought to himself, so what? I can honor my father and mother that my days belong upon the earth and live my life going forward and not their life in reverse. That's escape. That's the resurrection gospel. Now we have some responsibility here. My friend had an office mate at Kodak who 
Every noontime complained about his lunch. His office mate came in and opened at noon his bag lunch, and he'd say, oh, this again, or oh, what an awful lunch, or oh, I don't like this, or oh, this is really not what I would most want. Finally, my friend turned to him and said, I commiserate everyone should have a good lunch, but let me ask you, who makes your lunch? And he said, oh, I make my own lunch. I make my own lunch. <laughs> you have to take the key. You have to move the escape hatch. You've got to read the trail to freedom. My dear former teacher, Elaine Pagels, has just written a new book on the revelation to St. John. But when she was younger, she wrote in her book, Beyond Belief, about a year in which she was losing and she finally lost a young a child of theirs. In between medical appointments, she was jogging in lower Manhattan. She came to the doorway of a community of faith and stood there in the doorway just as Sherman is standing there today. And she realized, wrote it down later, that she was in the presence of a community of people who knew how to face evil with honesty, grief with grace, failure with faith, and death with dignity. And that's who you are as well. You know, it is not Holy Week that defines the gospel. It is Easter that defines the gospel and Holy Week. It is not Holy Week with its long, lapidary, complex sentence of dependent clauses and semicolons and commas, which gives us the definition of the gospel. That comes right now, this morning, with the exclamation point of Peter, the full stop of Paul, the question mark of Mary, and the escape from the entrapment, the prison that be can become life at its worst. Second, escape. Third, eternity. Thornton Wilder wrote long ago, we don't take this out and look at it very often, but there is something eternal about every human life. Marilyn Robinson wrote recently that we understand life best when we understand it in the context of the larger goodness and the lasting grace of the divine. There's something eternal. Easter could be a good morning on which to recall that. Ohio Wesleyan University, uh, another Methodist college, begun in 1842, incorporated, I think, in 1842, which makes it uh, one of the older Methodist schools in the country, but I'll leave that aside for the moment. Ohio Wesleyan has a Chapelier Drama Theater where our daughter and son-in-law met and fell in love on stage before they married. And in that setting, they hold photographs of those who've been in place. So in the years they were there, there are photographs there on the wall now of their uh, leads in Once Upon a Mattress and Sweeney Todd and Antigone and Skylight and The Adding Machine and others. But I tried once to take them way back into the corner where there's a plaque to another Ohio Wesleyan thespian. Engineers, lawyers, ministers went through that program over 150 years. His name is Ralph Sockman. They didn't remember him, but I tried with little success to tell his story. He preached in New York City for many decades, trying, as he said, to give a lift 
for living out of a sense, subspecie aeternitatis, of the eternal. My office has been a collection place over the years for many things, old Bibles, used Geneva gowns, and books of sermons once read and then offered. This January, I thought of Ralph Sockman and pulled down a, a book of his an early evening, just began to leaf through these beautiful sermons. He defined American Christian Protestant Methodist preaching for a generation. He would stand wearing a morning coat with a black vest and just loop his finger over the top button and then speak without notes for 30 minutes. And I read these sermons. The last looked to me like it might have been his valediction because it was at the very end and it was about eternity. And he wrote very plainly. He said, I trust in eternity because I trust the enduring worth of personality. Well, I do too. I think you do too. And then he wrote, I trust eternity because I trust the integrity of the creation. Well, I do too. And I think you do as well. He said, I trust in eternity because I trust the integrity of Jesus Christ, his life, death, and destiny. Well, I do too, and I think you do as well. And then he, last he wrote, I trust eternity because I trust my own personal intuitions and intimations. Well, I do too, and I think you do as well. When I see a newborn child, I feel the imprint of eternity. When I hear a woman and man right here in this chancel, come some June Saturday, offer their vows to one another, I feel the impress of eternity. When I think what I would give for one five-minute conversation with my dad again, I feel the weight of eternity. When I listen to St. Paul and St. Mark place our life in the required regard for eternal life, I feel an Easter morning weight of eternity. My dad died a couple of years ago and the year before he died he was in and out of the hospital and once he was in a coma and when he came to, he said, I want to tell you something. I had an experience. Others have had this experience. And I don't give it to you as proof or evidence for anything. Eternity neither admits of nor needs from us nor requires from us any such proof. As a matter of fact, it's not we who question the resurrection. It's the resurrection that questions us. But I do give it to you as a mark of something true of the felt mind, our longing, our yearning, it makes us human for eternity. He said, I, I was in a long room and there was bright light and there was lattice at the far end of the room and all around me I heard voices. Sursum corda, lift up your hearts. Christ the Lord is risen. How are we to live 
with these mysterious tidings. To become human, you need a sense of enchantment. To be fully human, you need the promise of escape. To be and become the human being you are meant to be. And remember, Bonhoeffer said, to be a Christian is not to be a saint, but to become a human. You need an abiding respect for eternity, like that enshrined in the scriptures, which remind us God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, therefore we shall not fear Though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her right early. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Amen.
seated. We welcome you here once again in the nave of Marsh Chapel, and we would invite you to take a moment to put your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew and to pass that along to your neighbor so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. We would note that uh, following the service, those who have ordered lilies may retrieve them downstairs. And uh, we would encourage you to keep an eye to the chapel website for all of our upcoming services and activities, bu.edu slash chapel, along with the opportunity for online giving. As we move to the time of the offertory here in the nave, we would invite you to meditate on George Friedrich Handel's chorus, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain from the Oratorio Messiah. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
For the work before us, for the life within us, for the fellowship among us, for thy love that surrounds us, we give thee thanks. Bless these gifts and the givers, we pray. Amen.
Beloved, Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Let us pray. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of the risen Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of the risen Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you always. And also with you. May we ex extend to one another signs of his peace. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity made covenant to be our sovereign God, brought us to a land flowing with milk and honey, and set before us the way of life. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Amen. are you and blessed is your son Jesus Christ by the baptism of his suffering death and resurrection you gave birth to your church delivered us from slavery to sin and death and made with us a new covenant by water and the spirit by your great mercy we have been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of your son from the dead and to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading once we were no people but now we are your people, declaring your wonderful deeds in Christ, who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. On the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was ended, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
On the day you raised him from the dead, he was recognized by his disciples in the breaking of the bread and in the power of your Holy Spirit, your church has continued in the breaking of the bread and the sharing of the cup. And so in remembrance of these your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen. And now with the confidence of children of God, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Alleluia, Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast. Hallelujah.
Together, let us offer our prayer of thanksgiving. Most bountiful God, we give you thanks for the world you have created, for the gift of life, and for giving yourself to us in Jesus Christ, whose holy life, suffering, and death, and glorious resurrection have delivered us from slavery to sin and death. We thank you that in the power of your Holy Spirit, you have fed us in this sacrament, united us with Christ, and given us a foretaste of your heavenly banquet. We are your children, and yours is the glory, now and forever, through Jesus Christ our Lord.
friends, a happy Easter to one and all. Following the spoken benediction and the sung benediction, would you please make your way carefully while the organ is playing out one of all four of the doors. So we will use all four doors for our exit as we make space for our Roman Catholic sisters and brothers who are coming following us. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace now and always. Amen.